Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Welcome to the Nest of Vipers podcast, cultural chit-chat, buying for know-it-alls, ne'er-do-wells, and nattering nabobs everywhere. I'm your host, Danny Plotnick. And each week on the show, we have an esteemed panel of blabbermouths telling stories and riffing on some scintillating topic. And today we're going to talk about the movies. And I have to say, I'm really excited about our esteemed panel of guests today. All the way from Denmark, we have film writer, film curator, film distributor, film collector, and lover of oddball and obscure movies, Jack Stevenson. And Jack's published great film books over the years, including Flesh Pot about sleazy cinema, Land of a Thousand Balconies, an ode to movie theaters themselves, and uh, Addicted uh, for the Lover of Drug Movies. And also on the panel, we have Jesse Fix, who's currently curating the Midnight for Maniacs triple bill extravaganza over at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. And I have to say, my favorite person in the world to talk about movies with. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, Christian Bruno, filmmaker, who's currently working on a documentary called Stranded. No. No, what's it called? Strand and Natural History of Cinema. Documenting the demise of single screen theaters in San Francisco? Yes, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. To get the conversation situated here is all of us love movies, but I would argue or I would probably suggest that not in the way most people like movies, not in the sort of normal way to like movies. I would say we love sitting in musty theaters with uh, crappy chairs with springs poking out of the chairs. That's good enough, even if there isn't a movie playing. <laughs> yeah. I like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, just to soak in the atmosphere. Um, and also loving underdog films, uh, medical training films, films about uh, Mormons, we love that. Films about aerobics, we love that. Uh, French pop films from the 50s, um, things that maybe a lot of people don't even uh, know exist. And I think also the people on this panel love sharing movies, proselytizing to the unconverted uh, trying to you know get them to find out about all this good stuff, and so I think with that uh, I'll just maybe ask people: There's a love of movies here, and where where did that start? And maybe starting with Jack. I mean, is there some sort of moment where you're sitting in a movie theater, growing up in upstate New York or Boston? Where are you from? Uh, upstate New York, yeah, I'm from a small town called Elmira, upstate in upstate New York, and. It's hard to really say the the one single moment, um, but I do remember sneaking into our small town theater uh, when various films came by, such as I remember seeing Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. That was a seminal experience. And um, yeah, films like that, I would say, got me got me going on this. And uh, Now, did you have to sneak into that movie? Because that was X-rated, was it not? That was X-rated. And um, so I was 16, something like that. But Old enough. Old enough. But. Yeah, we snuck in anyway, even I'm though we were old 16. enough. Jesse? Um, well, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, so we would have to sneak into, you know, PG-13 movies. Even. <laughs> um, but as a kid, ironically, they would show us these Mormon-based films, obviously, because we're in Salt Lake, and they were, the majority of them were made in BYU. So I didn't find this out till later, but we would, you know watched like this movie called cypher in the snow i saw that that movie maybe like nine times growing up every year they would show it to 
That's and a pretty. De- that's the most depressing film. Ever it's made. the most. Well, and I, I've seen that <laughs> yeah. at one of Jack's shows. Do you guys want to talk about Cipher in the Snow? What is Cipher in the Snow for those who haven't? It's seen that's it. where realism. It's realism in educational filmmaking beyond realism. It's oh. it's completely traumatizing as a <laughs> six year old. What's the What's uh, the focus that like what happens in the film? Uh, it literally starts off on a school bus, and a, ki- a kid wanders up to the bus driver and says, you know, I got to get off, I got to get off, and he gets off the bus, and he falls straight down into the snow and is dead. And he's like eight, something yeah. like that, yeah. eight, nine years old. Yeah. yeah. And he's the cipher in the snow. Right, he, which is the zero, right? Yeah. Like, and, and literally then the rest of the film yeah. is going to all the school teachers and his parents and mm-hmm. friends oh, and they're like where did who, he, yeah. yeah who is he yep. and no one knew because no one paid attention to yeah him. they knew some kid disappeared and no one no one yeah. knew who it was no one was taking yeah. the blame for yeah and the big question happened. is why did he die he just died oh, because he seeks to want to exist right and so as a kid right we know this kid just dies and we see this every year and <laughs> and, and 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 it's existential as well as realism it's true <laughs> what's scary to think about and i just showed this as part of a uh, latchkey kid quadruple feature at the castro actually <laughs> what else is on the latchkey kid program um, i had Stone rum- rumblefish okay uh the warriors which i felt like is it was kind of a progression of if, if the kid in cypher in the snow didn't die then he would have become Rumblefish, you know, and then the Warriors, and then ultimately growing up, he would have been Mark, Michael Pare in Streets of Fire. And so it was just like growing up as a latchkey kid. And so in any case, this kid, like, the reason why he died is because he was completely lonely and of, of like no one paying attention to him. And if you're growing up in Salt Lake with the Mormon church begging you to join you get this like weird undercurrent through all these these Mormon based films. There's another one, a mailbox of an old lady who goes to a mailbox and she's never getting a letter. And you're gonna die alone if you don't join the church. Is that like is that ultimately like the message that I mean obviously it's the message, I would imagine, but does the end of the film say No. no. You just it's very open ended. It's very yeah. open ended. That is sort of like really dark existentialism. Yeah, yeah. The Mormons made great, great films. I've collected a few. I've uh, Wetzel Whitaker was the primary director behind these. He he made I think fifty or sixty. And he made Johnny Lingo. I think he made Johnny Lingo too. And wow. he made For Time or Eternity. And he made is How Do the, I Love Thee. What's the? I think I saw a show that you did at For Time or Eternity is the at ultimate. Mass Art, and there was like the people up in Wow up in heaven. Yes, For Time well, or Eternity. Oh, the and someone film. gets a, It's a, a mixture of Mormon theology and um, like and science fiction. Yeah. Holy a weird. It's like where, where? How come your husband's yeah. not here? They like, start in heaven, get... in other world. Yeah. When you go to acquire a body, a mortal body, right. you the, go to where, earth. The, to... Just to clarify, the Mormons start in heaven. They as yeah. They start in heaven. Pre-natal. Pre mortal existence, pre-mortal. and it looks like a Vegas milk bar or something. It's <laughs> extremely bizarre. And, and there's <laughs> a picture of flowers. And there's why would you want to leave? <laughs> exactly. I think you've work to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah. Oh, well, well, you're supposed to save as many as possible, though. Too. You're supposed to bring them down but on the earth. But they didn't get married in the church. Right. That was like the big thing of no, that. No, because uh, it's how I grappled with carnal lust and desire. And, and her boyfriend Vegas, right. just wanted to short circuit the process and what get married in Vegas, 1970. 
Oh my God, I want to see this. Want to get married in Vegas? So he eventually convinces her, and and it's weird they- that that's a problem since the pre-mortal world is so much like Vegas. Exactly. You think they would be excited? Exactly. Why this is the heaven on earth we've been looking for all along? Is this Absolutely. the primordial or the pre-mortal? Pre-mortal. Pre-mortal. <laughs> yes. But uh, eventually, she Jan, the character who remembers somehow vaguely pre-mortal existence, oh, um, yeah. gets to Vegas, and she just they're led into a 24-hour wedding chapel. As they drive through the streets, you see palmists, you know, flash all these things that are. I'll aliens never forget. To like, I remember the music. Just I've only seen that film once, but I remember the music. Yeah. Could you hum that. it? Doom, do 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 do. It's like this kind of like little <laughs> rock number. And oh, it's there's kind of a there's a rock across. score. Yeah, when they are in Vegas. Yeah, panning across yeah. like the rock. See the fact <laughs> that you saw that once. Right, and this you was know? 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, it I was mean, probably 1990, yeah. That's honestly the power of... The power of educational films. <laughs> <laughs> really? And, you know, and sure. again, knowing this song, like, I mean, we in Salt Lake, we would have, you know, Christian rock bands playing after school that you could pay money for. But is that different from, like, seeing a Mormon rock band? Um, well, yeah, it was, it was definitely a... Wait, you're you saying know, you saw a Mormon educational film cover bands? <laughs> Um, I have no clue. I, I don't know the name of any of these bands. They pitched them to us as just, you know, uh, you want to see some rock music. So then, you know, over the years, we, we just were like, oh, I guess that's that Christian rock music scene. And in fact, they probably were, you know, more of a spin-off genre of Mormon, <laughs> Mormon rock, rock bands. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that, that would do it, right? Is that as soon as you see... These, these trippy films yeah. as a kid. And, and many of them that they made were, that Wetzel Whitaker made, I think he's made all the ones that you've mentioned. He was like the, the head guy. Many of them were made to be shown anywhere. I mean, they weren't, uh, you know, they were secular, so to speak. But this one, For Time or Eternity, was o- made to be shown only to Mormons because it's very specific theology in it uh, that people already would know about. That movie, The Rapture, you know, that one with... Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought that film was great. And I, I think I, it came out, I think, a couple years after I saw this Yeah, Mormon. early 90s. Right. And it's a woman, she's like a phone sex operator. Yeah. And, and then finds and find, heaven. It, and there's and the, the, guy who wrote the four the, horsemen the, the player, show right? up. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. I, I, I saw the movie again. I saw it once and then in fragments. But that film always reminded me of those Mormon movies because it sort of had that same sort of sheen. And I wondered if whoever made that movie was came out of the Mormon... Yeah. movie yeah. industry or right. something like that. It had that same sort of like weird spacey deadpan. Mm. I yes, know. I yeah. remember that movie. Yeah, yeah it's got a very creepy vibe to it. It does. Yeah. And it's sort of like yeah. people just being... And now, isn't Joseph Smith from Elmira, New York? Palmyra, New York. Palmyra, New York. Rhymes with. Palmyra pageant every year. Damn, I was hoping that we... <laughs> Mark Twain is buried there, and it's the glider capital of the world and the fire plug capital of the world. It's arguing with seven other towns over which is the fire hydrant capital. Well, Christian, <laughs> that's what why about, I left. What about you? How did you fall in love with the movies? Oh, I don't. I mean, I grew up going to the movies like everybody else's family did, but I think it is sort of you know when you become kind of a teenager and you start going to movies like on your own or and seeing movies downtown. That like that yeah. was always. And I'll remember Where going, was downtown for you. Boston, Massachusetts. And I remember like the Paris Theater. Is that what it was called? It was over by Copley Square. But they just seemed to show stuff that like nobody else showed. But I don't even really remember what I saw there. But it was sort of like the long walk into the theater yeah. was like more memorable than anything you could see there. Yeah. Did you, you ever know? go to the Pilgrim? Uh, speaking of great Boston movie theaters. No, I don't think I did. That uh, hulking movie palace that uh, was on a downhill slide for like 20 years. Um, by the time I got there... In the late 80s, it had become and a point. How long theater. did you live in Boston? I lived in Boston for, from about 80, 
82 to 89, pretty much through the whole of the 80s. And mm-hmm. the Pilgrim was was a monstrosity. It did yeah. eventually. It, it, in the 50s, it had shown films like The Tingler and Premiere. It, it had shown oh, big nice. movies. <laughs> And it, it was the, like, you know, where all the exciting movies played, but by the 80s, it had become a porn theater. It was showing porn films, and then by the late 80s, it was showing them on video, which made everything much darker. <laughs> when you went into the theater, you couldn't see anything, and you knew the regular customers because they brought their own flashlights. Okay. And Smart enough to yeah, do that. And a trip, to the, ba- and a trip to, the, to the toilets was a trip to hell. You had to go down, like, about five even, levels. Yeah. I wouldn't even think of going to the bathroom. I think I would just be totally right. frightened. Just right, go right. in, go out, yeah, and that yeah. would well, be Well, going it. to those theaters, I mean, it, it would strike me as a young man's game, right? I mean, right. but it's not at be all. Young and, it's not a young man's game. These people right. are no, 80 no, no. and 90 years I old. I know. Yeah, these people yeah, are no, 80 and 90 years old. I know. That, I guess they're just peeing like, in their seats then probably, right? I, I mean, don't know I, what they're doing, yeah. but they're But not. they're pretty active because they're never in their seats. You look up on the balcony, and they're floating around People walking around. And I think that was sort of like the thing about – like a theater like the Strand Theater, like being in there and just having people just like walking around all the time. Exactly, yeah. And you're there to enjoy the movie, I'll admit. There's other things going on, of course. You're making a documentary about the Strand? Well, not about the Strand. Well, the Strand is sort of like the spine of the story because I, I, I mean, I think it's such a great theater or was a great theater because, you know, for all the number of movie theaters that were on Market Street and that was like the great downtown of San Francisco, that was the one that really kind of like outlasted all of them. And, I don't think it was ever like a remarkable theater, except in, and as you write about in Land of One Thousand Balconies, you know that like when it became an art house, so Mike Thomas came in and you know kind of transformed it into this great scene. But then you know I felt like the whole story of film exhibition could sort of be told through this one theater, you know, and then it became and, a and porn can you, theater. And can you talk about sort of the the rise and fall of these big downtown single screen movie theaters? I mean, you talk about it in your book, but just to give people a little overview of. Uh, well, they became uh, not viable in the 80s. You, you can't run a single-screen movie theater anymore, except the Castro perhaps, um, because it's in a special neighborhood, I think. Um, but uh, it's, it's almost impossible to have a single-screen theater now. And also, the, the audience changed uh, that would go to these downtown theaters. I mean, in the 50s, it was, it was families, right, when the working class still lived downtown yeah, yeah. i would i would even think like or i think 40s. towards the end of the 40s you no, know it wasn't even it was segregated too i think until the 60s and then um uh became more integrated um with blacks and whites coming into downtown and then um neighborhood changed that's what they always you know complain about market street changed yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, became like a, and then in the 70s and 80s it was like hell on earth kind of and this is where the most exciting stories come from and of also course. the greyhound bus station exactly. was around Which the corner for a long keep time keep it transient you know that right. kind of thing and also it was cheaper to go to these theaters than it was to rent an apartment a ticket for all day was cheaper than renting an apartment so some people lived in these theaters in all were they 24 hours some were 24 hours. I don't know if the Grand was 24 hours, but mm-hmm. there's if you read reread On the Road by Jack Kerouac, there is an excellent sketch in there about a grindhouse theater. He goes to a grindhouse theater, and it's one of the best sketches oh, in great. the whole book. I'll have to check it out. And, and you men- I remember reading, you mentioned something that when they tried to clean or class the strand up in the 80s, it was a no sleeping bags rule. Right. No sleeping bags or bottles or, or various I mean, I, other things. A, a whole list of things you couldn't bring in, among them knives and... But I love that sleeping bags is something that yeah. people are regularly bringing <laughs> yeah, yeah. to the movie. Well, I mean, but again, I mean, think that the, the Greyhound bus station is like right around the corner. You know, wasn't yeah. it? It was on like it was 7th. on seventh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was sort yeah. of before my time here in San Francisco. But 
was 92. When I arrived in San Francisco, I arrived that, at the, the bus, bus station. station. I walked up to Market Street to catch a, a bus, and I watched a fist fight break out between two guys at the bus stop. And I was like, I'm in the big, big city, city, Ma. Right, right, <laughs> right. And, yeah. but, I, but I wondered, too, if, you know, if the movies, you know, and, like, uh, them leaving, you know, like, the main fair leaving uh, Market Street maybe contributed to that kind of stuff. Because... I think Jaws may have been one of the first films that was released simultaneously, like in more theaters than just maybe one. You know, and I think why these oh, big in theaters. Oh, the same city. Yeah, right. like, and why these big theaters were, they would do okay is the fact that you could only see this one movie at this one theater. So movies like, like The Sound of Music played for like 96 weeks in one theater. You know, it was like yeah, the only right. place you could go yeah. to see it. Yeah, the whole but, structure is different. I mean, and now, I mean, you think that, I don't know, like a big event like Star Wars, Phantom Menace or something like that, it doesn't open in one place. It opens in like four um, different theaters. So, right, you on know, five different screens. Which means like word of mouth will just totally kill it. You know, it's like they try to make as much money in that first weekend. Right, right. So suddenly these films are like the prestige of these movies are not, they're not playing downtown as much anymore, you know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, there are obviously other things like people are moving to the suburbs, so downtown is, becomes an expensive proposition to like drag your whole family to go to the movies, you right. know. And then they went went over to repertory programming under Mike Thomas, and then of course video uh, put a dent that, in yeah. that. Nineteen eighty six, the the worst year for repertory cinemas in San Francisco. Many closed nineteen around that time. Which I think is I think the great uh, what I love about rep cinema is sort of like these young guys and gals you know i think you in the book i think you sort of write about the people that were running the embassy theater like towards the end which is like this, these old guys who'd been in the business for yeah. like decades yeah. and then you have like these young people who were like stepped in they were like they were going to like create something kind of new and i love that sort of idea of like reuse of this space which i think was a, you know a brief but very memorable period for sure and um, you were telling a story about the strand the other night about uh, a rat's nest in a seat <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for people um, who are born too uh, late to really experience yes. this sort of thing. <laughs> I was talking to a film, film man and all-around uh, pop culture renaissance man, Monty Cazaza, and he was telling me this incredible story of when he worked as a projectionist there and um, looked out the window, on, or he heard something. He looked out into the, into the audience and he saw this giant... This giant guy was going berserk. He was running into people and running down the aisles, just going berserk for apparently no reason. Nobody could figure it out. So eventually he had to turn the lights up and shut the movie off. Then he, he went down and found out that there was a rat clamped to the guy's ass. Oh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, a rat had, uh, had bit him in the ass and wasn't letting go. So they beat the rat <laughs> off with a broom, and the guy ran out the door. And then um, they went and checked the seat, and there was a nest, a, a a nest, nest of rats. Of rats. There. And the guy had sat down on a nest of rats. And that wasn't even at, at the end when it was getting <laughs> no. tough. The Strand was always a, uh interesting theater. Okay, mm -hmm. let me jump in on that. Yeah. I worked I worked for the four-star theater. It's a Chinese-run um, theater right. in San yeah. Francisco. Right, in the Richmond. 75-year-old theater at this point. And um, uh, I, when I first moved to San Francisco, that was my first job that I got in 98. And it had been transitioned by, uh, frankly, he, you know, cut... Not that he didn't split the screen or anything. Right. He just made this tiny little, you know. Boutique theater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nicely put. Um, <laughs> and it's just like in a chunk of where <laughs> seats would have been. And so, you know, it holds about 25 people right. in that or whatever. So super excited and going through all these, you know, weird rooms and, you know, finding old 
it's a it was a chi- like frankly and his uh, dad had run a theater in Oakland also, and uh, it was all Chinese films and kung fu films, and at that time they would sell you the print and a hundred posters for American screening from, from Hong Kong. From, they just yeah. sell you the print, right? Because don't, there's don't no distribution, you know, right. in America. You just can show the movie anytime you want. Right. And so, you know, Frank Lee has just a collection of you know just hundreds of these movies that they're not. Shaw Brother films. They're not anything that even collectors or, you know, film Hong Kong film fanatics have seen. So in any case, digging through these, you know, massive amount of posters and on um he never a lot of the films didn't have boxes or cans and so they were just stacked reels and on the top of one of the reels was um you know a some sort of rodent that had fossilized some sort of, some sort of rodent i think it was a prairie dog i'm not sure <laughs> but it had fossilized oh, into the open circle oh, no of one of the films and so you know it had all melted down into the film and the skin you know i mean it was like a, a true fossil in wow. in the film and it was a you know a photo that i have no clue Incredible. what happened to my photo of that but wow. it's it's just true horror wow. Of um, yeah. you know, when I, I used Did to you go have to, to put the film up anyway that night. <laughs> I was going to say, show must go on. <laughs> no. That was Willard. Yeah, but I, I went to the four star when it opened. When he opened it, I think that was around ninety two or right. something, wasn't it? And, yeah. Uh, that was great. I, I loved that place. And I remember sitting there, and I knew that he kept a lot of prints under the stage. And exactly. I, and I often contemplated grabbing them and uh, running. But oh, um, if I could find still erotic there. ghost stories. <laughs> okay. I could, because there were a lot that, uh, when I was living in Boston uh, toward the late 80s, there, were, there was still the Pagoda Theater down there. It was really a, a sleaze pit by that time. And I went right. down there every weekend and got an education in this stuff, stuff that's not even really known, too. There were a lot of secondary-type movies that are fantastic right. still. And they played erotic uh, ghost story. And uh, I really loved that film, and I saw, him, I saw it in the can. And yeah. then I asked him. Um, I was running a midnight series at the Coolidge Corner at that point, too, and I, and I wanted to rent it for that series. So I, I, I took down the name of the Ed Gordon film uh, in New York City, and later called them up trying to rent it from them, and they wanted thousands and thousands of dollars for one screening. So it was clearly not possible. And I realized that my only chance would have been to grab the cans and run out into the street and wish I had. I know, right? Given another chance, because nobody was all that healthy in the theater. I don't think they would have chased me, but they might have shot me. I think someone stole a Rembrandt from the Museum of Fine Arts that way. They just, like, grabbed it off the wall. So that would have been a great moment. Just grab it. Exactly. Run up to the but the cans are so heavy, you'd trip and stumble in the street <laughs> you and probably be hit by a bus. <laughs> oh, totally. There were mice in the Castro Theater when I first moved here, like all the time. And I wonder whatever happened to them. Yeah. They would be running around. Do you remember this? You don't remember this. We're, this is deviating into mice, mice stories and yeah. rat stories. I'm sorry. I, no, I, mean, I think totally we can keep it your, going. Out of your, no, I keep I, it going. I, what I'm year was that? This is like 92, 93, 94, 95. Really? That's exciting. Because next is Food of the Gods. I don't remember that. I think you just... Put your feet up on the seat in front of you and just watch them just kind of run up and down. Yeah, the that aisle. was the wisdom at the Strand that uh, you just, never yeah. put your feet on the floor. And and also Jim Morton was telling me a story at the St. Francis when he used to go there and uh, oh, I love was a, was a wild yeah. scene in the seventies. And I can't remember what movie he was watching, but the crowd was to start with completely insane, <laughs> and then a rat ran down under the seats uh, yeah. and everybody just started flipping out. It was sure. mass hysteria and. 
you know, that's what movies are all about. People jumping on each other. It totally so you, could, you, you don't could, get you, that with DVD. Tingler no. tried to create those experiences, right? Precisely, precisely. They tried to create them. And yeah, exactly. Got, uh, yeah, or, or like <laughs> I remember at the World Theater in, in Hollywood, I used to frequent that place, and I remember they ran I Dismember Mama for a week or two. And there were, I Dismember there were, Mama, I don't yeah. remember that one. I don't know the name, but I, I don't really <laughs> remember great. what happened. Give us a little plot synopsis. Mm, there's sex, violence, uh, sleaze. I, I can't remember too much. <laughs> I, the The World Theater was great because there would be fights breaking out. And the reviewer for the L.A. Times said it publicly. She hated to go there to review movies because she usually ended up reviewing a fight. You know, people would, <laughs> And that's Who's great. You can't win? get that in video. Well, I was thinking maybe you guys could come down to the Castro and start some fights. You know? Right, get, right, right. Some, oh, we could bring right, some a cage pets. of rats. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. But there, speaking of fights, we've gone from rats to fights now, and I've moved the, the story up to Olympia, Washington. Dateline, Washington. Picture, if you will, a, a map as we travel up yeah. the scenic. And, um, Pages of the calendar. Yeah. And uh, there's the a, a marathon there. All freaking night. All freaking night. Yeah, yeah. I'm and friends with Zach. You Zach know Zach. Carson. Yes. Yeah. It's a small world for film the freaks. Capitol Theater. I was there. Cap- the Capitol Theater, fantastic old barn of a place. <laughs> right. Washington State. And uh, I was there at a marathon about three years ago. And I, it might be a famous, one of the famous additions because they claim there were like, at one point, there were four fights breaking out and three acts of people having sex all at once while he was trying to give his talk. And everybody was throwing stuff. And... It was completely insane. Wow, but this is contemporary. Really yeah, this, this is, is a, a contemporary a fight. This isn't the seventies or no, This anymore. was three years. This, this, this is this is twenty first. It's impressive. <laughs> I, I know people in Europe that um, are in the horror movie uh, sort of festival circuit, and I say you should go to that marathon just for like a sociological experience. <laughs> exactly. Is it a horror marathon? A horror marathon. And it goes all night in Europe. Marathons only go three films, and nobody nobody can that's conceive a of that's a marathon, and oh. they can't conceive of anything more than that. Then they think you're assaulting them. They think right. you should pay them if you <laughs> rather show than, a fourth movie. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happens is you have all three Alien films are in distribution. So all marathons are only the Alien films, all three oh, Alien films, and that's it. And they right. do it in every theater, and it's very boring. And I come from the the school, the Boston school, where and also the UC Berkeley, and many theaters used to do twenty four hour marathons, sure. and anything less than that is uh, it's not a marathon. You know, and that's but hey, a, to get a triple yeah. bill. If you look at it that way. But what's interesting about that, that, too, and, and this, I think, goes to uh, programming and, and doing this triple feature at the Castro has kind of brought this up in a lot of conversations. You get a lot of suggestions from people. And a lot of the times uh, you're getting people saying, oh, you should play the de- all three Decline films. Right. You should play all three Alien films or something. And that, that sort of prog- – that's not really curating. No. Yeah, I got you. You know, right. and and then I, I think it's what's well, so obvious. Well, right, and it's it's almost like a video store. You yeah. know, you can rubber band the three, and they're right. on the if show. If you like the decline part one, you'll like the decline <laughs> and part and two. And it's frequently quite boring, also. Right, and so and and we were talking about what's happened to maybe the Cinematech of you know where it was exciting that people would track down that you know um, like Edith over in Berkeley would would you know she put together this mechanized eye this past year like in modern times the Pacific Film Archive we're right, speaking of right right and and it was her like her last series that she'd really wanted to do and it was all these like Edward Scissorhands with the man with the movie camera or you know and there was there was so much personality that's a weird combination mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was that okay well. <laughs> but but it, but it's all, all part of the same together. series yeah. though right. of where it's about you know the machine and. And it was so specific, you felt like you're yeah. getting to know Edith. Yeah. And and programming the films, at least at the Castro, for these triple features, for me, that's been the most exciting part, yeah. is, you know, 
bringing together three films yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily associate with each other, but that there yeah. is but there are some thematic yeah. exactly, yeah. and yeah. that's and I think that's sort of like the hallmark of like rep cinema, yeah. where you're not showing like because before that it was rerun or second run, and you would just show whatever was available, but then. The sort of era where people were putting together programs, like you look at the calendars in there. When they're the pulling same, stuff, the kind of they're art, pulling stuff you know? from classic era Hollywood or B movie or foreign Which films, exactly and putting them doing, together with something you know? contemporary, and again right. trying to find those through lines. Right, right, and it's also for double bills too. I mean, the art of the double bill is over. You know, people just don't go to double bills anymore because it's too long. They have to go home and check their email and stuff like that. I think people right. don't sit in a theater as long as they used to, and. And just putting two two films together also, or three and that, films. And that's a serious issue right there. I'm, I'm teaching a uh, film history class right now at the Academy of Art. And, it, you know, you have San eight, Francisco. <laughs> 18 year You've seen their ads on the television. <laughs> yeah, they're they not that good, too, right? They're not as good as I would expect. You know, they're better than the Streetlight Records ad. Okay. Ba-boom. But I think of it, you know, in terms of... Fair I, enough. I, whenever Fair there's, enough. like, a local place, there's a great... There's, like, a B&E tire transmission place. I love their ads. aren't going to school to make those Well, no, that's true. That's true. That's, like, free labor. But, so these students are 18 to 22, and there is an in watching films that has not been taught that's all there it didn't it naturally came to us because I hated reading books and I would do anything to watch a movie growing up that's not the case now watching a movie is like reading a book now and it's you a, think it's laborious to them it is terribly boring wow. for them to sit what through. do you think that is I don't think it's their fault I, I, I well, honestly to blame. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? <laughs> I don't think it's their fault, and I, I think that you know when you get older, you start all oh, the kids today. They don't understand. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I, I literally think you know I went uh, to the new Jackass film, and it was so Jackass two. Jackass two right. part. That's Jackass number part two. two. Number two. Um, <laughs> you, you should show that with the first Jackass it, movie sometime. <laughs> super good <laughs> idea. Really good. Um, they um, the audience was so with interactive. <laughs> The audience was actually interactive with the, the, the movie, and it's such—it's been such a long time since I felt that. And well, that's exciting because yeah. I, I feel that doesn't exist very much right. in theaters anymore. I mean, anymore. every single moment, people are screaming, laughing, like going, "Oh my god!" Like you know, literally, like standing up in the, you know, like yeah. going crazy. Well, like in, they used to do in the in old midnight movies. movies. Or okay. even even in midnight movies, yeah. when I used to uh -huh. go see midnight movies in high school, yeah. people were talking, yeah. throwing stuff at the screen. I mean, yeah. people would be like, "I'm going to throw the dots up at the screen and <laughs> see how they light up during the Monty Python movie." Like, right. I mean, right. that's kind of I grew up. Yeah. Now, the reason why stuff. I think is because that Jackass is made for a YouTube generation, meaning a YouTube okay, so. generation, right? Is 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 a film clip. You can go to YouTube, right, right. and and whatever you can see the five second mm -hmm. to two minute clip, and it always has some sort of like punch punchline at the end. There's always like it mm. builds up to something. If you don't like, you know, no one's gonna show you a dumb one. So you have just a series of highlights. No, but are are you pleased with that or not? I don't. I do, I'm not making an opinion. Can okay. I? I want to jump because I just want to say. I'm going to talk over you, if, actually. No, you're not, <laughs> This man. is my chance if to people, do it. If, uh, I just think if I'm people are excited in the theater and jumping up, like, to me, that's a positive exactly. step. Right. Yeah. Even if it's, yeah. you know. And I have just one. My, my favorite audience <laughs> reaction was watching Caligula on 42nd Street. <laughs> really? Sounds, yeah, Caligula yeah. on 42nd Street. But that's actually a great name for it. With a theater of, like, a thousand 
uh, crazy, you know, denizens of 40 seconds, just screaming at the top of their lungs. Um, and that, what it, it awesome. takes for someone so to scream in a movie is insane. I like the Why notion that there that? could be a movie called Caligula of 42nd Street. How yeah. good is it? The that Caligula of 42nd Street. Oh, my God. What did you just say, Christian? What yeah. were you Sorry. Just... Sorry. Yeah, you were <laughs> about to jump in here, and I have completely... You know what? I'm not even going to say it. No, I was thinking that I was going to... What are you, chicken? Oh. Oh. What you're saying, I, I think you, you bring up two things, which the last thing you bring up is He's the talking about Jesse, by the way. Jesse, to my left. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is actually, it's great that we're kind of in this no place of a podcast because what you're talking about is, I think the thing that we're kind of started this conversation with is like going to the movies and like being somewhere and seeing that kind of stuff. And I think why Jackass is probably so great is that it feels like a night out or it's an event kind of oriented thing. You know, maybe it's great that you can watch it on TV at home or whatever, but it doesn't really sort of have that. And the fact that the audience is so taken part of it, it has like this feeling that you're kind of doing something that isn't just consuming a film. You know what I mean? It's like as a teacher, I mean, I've I've taught classes, you know, same age group, and these kids can see anything that they want. You know, they can rent movies from anywhere. They watch, you know, the end of the summer. They can't see Cypher in the snow. They can't. Yes, they can. It's on Thank DVD. God. But – is it? it is. It is on DVD. You can get it at BYU Films. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like they can see anything they want, and you can sort of know films in a certain way by renting them, but you don't really have that experience of, like, going out and seeing something. And, the, you know, and the thing about – I think people would be patient to sit through a, a double bill, but they're just – and you know this. You both know this. It's too expensive to rent two movies, you know, that someone pays one ticket price for, unless you own the print or something like that, you know. The rental costs are just so prohibitive. It's like... Oh, at the theater level. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like and, the and industry there, And there's it. very few uh, prints available now, too. Also, it's hard to get prints. Yeah, right. it's, and, well, and it's true, though. There are a lot of people that are, are coming out, you know, did one on Friday, I, and they came out for all three films, you, I, know, you know, at least about 200 people, because and they stayed it, through all three. It's an event. Right? It's a night out. It's, a, it's, it's whatever. But I think yeah. you, you, you know... You take part in the film in some way that you don't when you sit and watch them. Maybe these kids watching mm. a movie to them is like, I mean, they're of that age where, you know, it was the birth of video cassettes. So they'd come home and watch Ghostbusters every day no, after no, these school. These kids started watching a movie in the 2000s. They Whoa, don't know wow. anything about nine, like videos. Wow, exactly. Like, it is they're like purely. DVD. It's purely like watching movies on computers. Yeah, yeah. Not, not even DVDs. DVDs are like useless. You can, you know. <laughs> There is such a short attention span, not because they're bored, but because mm. that's how they're trained to look. They've yeah. never, yeah, like yeah, you know. And and it was really exciting at a Jackass screening because at the very end, somebody tagged the window that the film was projecting through. So oh, you wow. had a, an <laughs> LA phone number area code, like projecting on. You know, that was reversed, of course, because <laughs> they didn't think about it. But it was on the screen. <laughs> For the end, you know, and you just felt like this is a cultural event. Like this That's is great. where the kids were. So yes, That's I do great. think it's wow. amazing. Yeah. yeah, not to not to invoke Pauline Kale, but I'm going to. But if you read her reviews, you know, of a time film critic, past, film critic, past. Uh, Berkeley was a curator. Wrote these program notes for the was it the Guild and the Studio in Berkeley, like in the 50s. Her reviews always incorporate like the audience, like what the audience not always, but there would be times where it's like right. the audience like loved this portion of the film or whatever. You know, people don't review yeah. movies like that anymore. It's like the movies are and this is great, you know, they're like a text, whatever. You can read them however you want. 
but it doesn't incorporate the fact that like it's a it's a it's a spectator thing you know do you, i mean like, do you precisely. think viewers are more passive now than in the past or i i don't i don't i don't think so i don't i don't necessarily think so but i think there is like the culture of going to the movies it's just it's just not the same yeah it's definitely you know? changed a lot um what you say about audiences reacting uh, to jackass too i uh, I recently showed a double bill in my small theater in Copenhagen that I work at. Of uh, I was doing a series on drug movies. And Denmark. I conf- in Denmark. Denmark. Uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater with the Trip. And Confessions of the of an Opium Eater starring Vincent opium, Price. A drug. Yeah, exactly. Is my favorite movie of all time. But it leaves audiences do not react at all. They sit there and just stare at the screen mm-hmm. and don't know, you know. And most of them are completely bewildered. And that's the way they should be. <laughs> And I would also add that um, this entire world that takes place in that movie of these subterranean tunnels and the Wild West kind of main street that he walks down and stuff, that can all be accessed if you go to the Buddha bar in Chinatown, go down to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. In the small room there, there's another. There's a door that leads somewhere. Men's, and that leads into bathroom? that room. Men's bathroom. I think both bathrooms are in this small. But go to the men's bathroom, <laughs> and there's another door just before you get to it that leads into this world. Really? I'm convinced of it. Wow. I'm convinced Let's go They told the me podcast. that it was made in Hollywood, but I'm convinced that that's how it <laughs> The problem is the Buddha bar closes at night because what kind of bar shuts at night? <laughs> a, a great They're bar because it's open during the day. Yeah. 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 And I've de- deviated the conversation to discussions about the Buddha bars. But, I mean, to talk about place, you know, where are we right now? It, it's just like where you go to see these movies can really – it means yeah. the world to you. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, we can all kind of attest yeah. to that. And it's also watching a movie by yourself, too. There's no reason on this earth to watch Pink Flamingos by yourself. Is it really <laughs> that other good? <laughs> exactly. But it's like to see it with a crowd of people, yeah. even if it's like a room full of people on video or whatever, it's like, yeah, yeah. that's what the way they're meant to be that's, seen. This must be why you own a theater. Uh, yeah, work in one under the table. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this is why you're still then connected. Yeah, yeah. Into it because it works to get it works. people yeah. who don't know that you can have a more powerful experience with an yeah. audience. Yeah, precisely. Even though our theater is very small, it's 62 seats, but it still works to get an audience into there and then to show them also the movies that you choose to show them as well. And right. It's a little bit also difficult in Denmark because there's also kind of a cultural gap there too. Really? Where we have movies like I could show Cypher in the Snow or I, I brought over a lot of uh, – uh, driver ed films mechanized death signal 30 i have a number of those films and i don't show them in europe because they're just gory and ghastly oh, I but see. we we remember them in a kind of nostalgic way i so. th- i think you're yeah probably people here would now, attach would it, to it don't you way. ever um mm-hmm. couch that stuff is you know letting me know why these films existed and what purpose and it still means nothing to they them. existed so that the most beautiful girl in the class would run out of the room and puke in the <laughs> basically was, as we remember <laughs> that's what we remember about them i'm going to bring danny into the conversation without having him talk and that is i i was in budapest a couple years ago um and these people that I met you there... You can't stop me from yeah. talking. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was just waiting. <laughs> if, not, if, if for nothing else, it was like say, reverse could you please psychology. pass the pretzels? <laughs> oh, the pretzels. Yeah. So, but you're not going to chew them while I talk. Well, I programmed this show. They said, why don't you bring some films from where you're from? So I did films from California. I showed Swinger Serenade, which people were just... Have you seen? Yeah, it's, you've seen it, of it's course. Fantastic. To give and Danny you've shown, a plug this, you've shown this in Europe, have you not? I have. 
Jack booked a whole tour for me in Europe. So I showed this film, people enjoying everything, and that film comes on, and people are kind of like dead silent through the whole thing. Someone walked Uh, out. Thanks. Somebody walked out and said, why do we want to watch movies from the 50s? You know, and I thought, oh my God. They're like, they're. That's genius. It's like their culture there is just like anything that's before 1991 or something like that is like. It's the old world. They're like they're, they're trying to forget a horrible past. Though, they probably, totally right? are. But you know, it's it's yeah. actually kind of sad because you go to the Bella Balage Studios, which I think is like to me, I think, oh, this great Eastern European like film studio. It looks like the ATA. Like they've totally moved into this artist small television building. access. Artist television access on Valencia Street, and they have stacks and stacks of thirty-five millimeter short animated movies. Like they've been made by the studio for years, and the guy that. Like programs there, it's just like nobody wants to see this stuff because it's from like the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 50s. It's like yeah. old time. So it's people's yeah. a, a association to the past. Right. I think in Eastern Europe that applies more. Yeah. Um, I think in Western Europe they take Swinger Serenade for exactly as it is. It's become <laughs> kind of a cult hit in Copenhagen with the Cosmic Zoom Festival. People played wow. it over three years in a row. It was like their signature film. Interesting. You're like the Emmy Lou Harris. Of- <laughs> yeah, Emmy yeah. Lou oh, Harris. <laughs> My silver hair. <laughs> Just now, out of curiosity, I know um, one uh, movie I'm dying to hear a little bit about because you reference it a whole bunch in uh, Land of a Thousand Balconies is The Estrogen Cycle of a Rat. Right? I think the title says it all. <laughs> Let me throw this out there. When you spoke the other day with your Swing in Scandinavia show, you mentioned, I think we all probably feel this way uh, about a lot of films, there are these movies that you love to see. You wouldn't necessarily call them good movies, though. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of something that's very hard for people to yeah. get their heads around. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's not good. Why do you like it? Yeah, that's the whole thing. I've had people tell me, I don't like bad films. I like good films. You can't argue with a fool like that, really. Who determines what a good film is? I mean, uh, most Hollywood films are crap. But also, seeing those kind of films with a group of people who are just bewildered or yeah. dumbfounded or totally excited, yeah. that's, a, that's a whole experience right there that's yeah. more than just the film, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, there, was a mo- there was a movie that just came out called Little Man. And, um, I feel like and a Jodie Foster movie. Little no. Man Tate. No, no. <laughs> no, that, that's what I was thinking of. This is brand new. This year is called Little Man. 2006. And, yes. <laughs> Uh, the Wayans brothers made it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. All right, I saw the ads it, for that. It's about a, a little person, but it's not really a little person because it's, it's, it's Marlon Wayans' head has been, you know, um, what's that rotoscoped onto a little person's body for some of the scenes, but most of the scenes, his head is on a baby, and it's about a little person who who sneaks into people's house, this person's house, and tries to rob them, and. Um, there was so much confusion in the audience because basically you had all these kids in there to see it, but it's about like a little person basically like a criminal. He, yeah, and he's and he's and literally he, <laughs> he's trying mastermind. to like rape the, a woman at some point. Oh like he's trying God. to have sex with her, and he's like he's totally disturbing, and you know the. So it should have been PG instead of G. It definitely <laughs> should have been R. I mean, it's really it wasn't. Am- yeah, no. No, it was marketed oh. somehow for kids. Wow. It's a stunning film. I mean, just completely brilliant and, Shimmering. and amazing. <laughs> and there's a I, – I was trying to get anyone to watch it. <laughs> and one of the there comments somebody there. said was, in 10 years, I'll be able to watch that. But I can't watch that now because that – depresses me about my own society right now and i'm thinking wait doesn't that can't you see that 
for our society right now? Why do we have to wait 10 years to look back on, you know, 2006 and then go, oh, yeah, those movies? But it also depends. You bring up an issue here about determining a good film and a bad film, and that is something people don't generally acknowledge is it also depends where your head is at the moment. Mm -hmm. People always ask me what my favorite film is, and I always think Female Trouble. And for many years it was my favorite film. I uh, saw it back in the early 80s. On a Fantastic double. opening yeah. scene. Yeah. And the Cha-Cha Shoes, yeah. right? That's Cha-Cha Hills. Yeah, the John Waters film from 74, I believe it is. And, a uh, great Christmas movie. Of all yeah, time. Yeah, it's a great Christmas <laughs> movie. And, uh, but I, I, always, I liked also the spirit of camaraderie that, that comes out in every frame. It's a group movie about mm-hmm. this group of friends he had, and the spirit is there in every frame. And yeah. I really identified with it at that time. And um, probably I'm, I'm while well, I'm at a different point in my life, and I would look at it a little bit differently. Sure. Now I don't like friends, and I don't like people. <laughs> and I, I don't want to hang out with anybody. So it's, Nordic. It, uh, I, I, <laughs> totally. it, it wouldn't affect me the same way it affected me then. Mm-hmm. So... I can't really say what my favorite. Uh, but I guess you sort of look at it as at a time and a place, you know, like. It's very dated. I think I also yeah. see it as dated, and I think that's a good quality in sure. a film. Movies that are dated that are somehow misfire gloriously. I mean, this is, to me well, is a good film. I mean, they also give Not you a art. really great window of a certain time period and a certain group of people yeah. more than a documentary about yeah. John Waters in 1970 right. ever could. Yeah. I just recently saw this Berlin Super 80 DVD, all these Super 8 films from Berlin in the 80s. Mm-hmm. very mediocre mm-hmm. set of films but I loved watching it because I felt it gave me a window of this group of people working in Berlin and gave me this window into Berlin and yeah. artists who might have been around the same age as me or sure. a couple years older and again I'm watching and go eh, I, could I really recommend could I, yeah. could I get my wife out of the bedroom and say you gotta watch this <laughs> yeah, yeah. no I probably couldn't yeah. but at yeah. the same time it's like it really gave me a window into uh, worlds, uh, kind of like yeah. an archaeological dig yeah. in a way, yeah. and it was totally worthwhile yeah. for that. Good movies, no. Would right. I as far it? as film art, no, no maybe. And yeah. the problem in Europe is that they, they they tend to judge things only as film art, you know, and it's bullshit. Right. I would. The name I was going to try to invoke was Tom Anderson, his film oh, Los, Los Angeles plays, plays itself. itself, which I think is such a great film because it sort of says what you guys are saying, which is these films are more of a document of like Los Angeles than a documentary film could be. It's like suddenly you're looking at the locations that the films are being shot in, and it's pretty great to kind of situate your mind. Well, I love seeing, actually, I I recently saw that film, seeing all the footage of Bunker Hill, which I've read about a lot from Fonte and Bukowski, but it's like, I can't really picture what Bunker Hill looks like in the 50s, and there it is in Kiss Me Deadly, and and I didn't know that that was Bunker Hill. Exactly, it's been in a bunch of movies, and and that's really, that's a better record of that place than anything else would have been. But I think also it's like, yeah. Well, well, wouldn't he argue with you? I think he's, he suggests it's a false record. But it, but in in a sense, it's the only record we, we have, have of it. But I was gonna sort of go back to the Wayans brothers. Like, we'll be able to watch this film in ten years, and I think probably. I hope you watch it. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> it's probably out on DVD now, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, I, mean I know on, we should all at wait. least on Mission Street. It's out on DVD. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's just it's hard to kind of figure out where you're at at any given moment. Maybe that film, if I watched Little Man right now, I'd say, oh. You're right. This is where we are in society at this point in time. But maybe seeing that film in conjunction with other films or reading books or journalism of this time period, years from now, you'd be able to say, like, oh, yeah, everybody was totally fixated on children or something like that. You know, it's it's hard to kind of – it's like in a way it's hard to kind of figure out where we're at. But movies are great mm-hmm. because 
years pass and they it's like all about our tastes at that moment in time you know and, and it's usually movies that are low budget too i think that it's, that are that yeah. that are dated and in a good exactly. way and where the director doesn't have total control over them. They're a little unhinged. Uh, these are my favorite. They're not art. You know, they're not timeless right. movies. Right. I hate timeless movies. <laughs> I hate Citizen Kane. There's, there's <laughs> movies are there's crap. Um, now, what um, – I just use that movie as an example. I don't particularly hate it. But <laughs> I always, I always slander it. <laughs> so, Jack, to, to go way back. So you were seeing Ross Meyer films sort of as they were happening at the time. And is that sort of your entree to the American Underground stuff? Because I know you've championed the American Underground 70s, 80s, 90s in terms of distributing work. and Right, yeah. Of course, Russ Meyer is quite, quite a different kettle of fish. And uh, I was really a bit too young for that. By the time of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, all his classic movies, uh, like Lorna, which is my favorite, and Mud Honey. We were actually on Sunday. We took a drive through the Delta, the Redneck Riviera, you know, <laughs> yeah, going up towards Sacramento where he shot those movies. Oh, wow. and so that was great. <laughs> We have an idea to do some kind of tour there. But, oh, well, it's uh, great. Better than the Vertigo tour. But, you know, I think I forgot your question. <laughs> um, no. Talk about yourself uh, some more. Don't oh. to the American Underground. <laughs> right, oh, right, yeah. right. Now, um, that was, uh, I, I, people ask me how I got into film. Did I take, um, you know, did I take any classes? Did I go to university? But I, I got in by booking shows at Chet's, at a sleazy bar in Boston, at Chet's Last Call, uh, in between punk bands. I would put on a whole night with two punk bands, the Queers, the Gorehounds, um, various bands, um, and then show two feature films. They went way too long, like two, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody is completely dead. It's Tuesday night. Yeah, I lost a lot of money and. And, uh, Have you ever made a lot of money doing any of this? Once in a while, I was recently invited to the film festival in Reykjavik, and I made about a thousand bucks to sit my ass in a luxury hotel mm-hmm. room for three Iceland. days Iceland. and show porn films to them. So wow. I've really arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody asked you this the other day, which is how do you? It's like how do you end up getting these prints in and out of? countries you know like interesting this. question because it used to be that a film print was really important you if you left with a film print uh in your suitcase or you carried it uh outside the country you had to have a written form mm-hmm. the filmmakers from the 60s remember this uh now people don't give a damn they I mean, don't know nobody, what it is they don't know what it is i was traveling you've traveled around too and i was traveling uh, to stockholm once and about 10 years ago and, and i had like two three suitcases full of all my most extreme films medical films bestiality, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> the kind of stuff that you like, you, you would read about people being stopped at the border and right. getting their stuff. And, like, and, and they said to me how, and they, and they you know, the Swedish, or the, yeah, the Swedish uh, border patrol stopped me on, in the train and in my compartment and said, where are you going to Stockholm for how long? For two days. For two days? And you have five suitcases? Wait a minute, open these. <laughs> and then I opened them, and then when they saw that they were, had films in them, they just became completely disinterested, told me to sure. shut the crap up. I, but it, I don't even think it was even that long ago, because I, I feel like I've heard stories of like Nick Zed's like prints being like confiscated. Going he did into, like, yeah, I mean, in Sweden, ten, ten in Sweden. Ago. But you have to insult the customs okay, right. to, to to make them actually to... give you trouble. You have to be extremely. I, <laughs> I guess the cultural cachet of like film or something it just doesn't have the same weight. Why? Why on the internet now? You can yeah, see exactly. the most grotesque stuff on the internet on. Uh, of Iraqi war victims and stuff. Sure. I mean, yeah. So why go to Jack Stevenson's show about medical films from Vietnam? Right. right? I have this. Army it's a good thing the shows are Vietnam, um, and they've made one film. about Iraq too. Um, uh, and this one is is very clinical. That's why it's. I think it, it's a bit. Uh, it's quite extreme, and it's in its clinical way. And also, if you see it on a movie screen, um, you know the colors are more vivid. So it's probably more vivid than watching something like that on your cell phone. <laughs> 
which is really where you want to watch that kind of stuff. <laughs> now, I have one more question. Maybe this ties back around to, again, people talking about loving, uh, you know, to see films collectively in the theater experience. But, it, Jack, I know, I mean, to me, in a big way, you're sort of an archivist. I mean, you have all these old films that aren't, available to people estrogen cycle of, of the rat but you see you seem to have no interest of another plug for that film <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna market that like thing site it's too. hit a chord it's hit a chord <laughs> um but you seem to have no desire to put this stuff on dvd dvd or digitize them and no. it just seems to i mean you just seem to have no interest which i really respect but i'd yeah. love for you to just talk about that because yeah. again you just showed this uh great film in your um swinging scandinavia show this documentary of this uh danish um the sex club documentary sex club mm. which is i mean fantastic i mean people need to see it yeah. but they never will unless they go to one of your shows right, because it should be a crowd i'm also a bad businessman if i was good i would have be <laughs> right. selling dvds at the end of every show but it doesn't seem to be worth the trouble um, so I sell books instead, which is even a worse business. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I think it should be a crowd experience. I like the, 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 the feeling of the crowd hysteria. So that's, that's what I find of interest. And, uh, yeah, it's a live experience, as I think you know at DeCastro. Yeah. Sure. yeah, you know, um, coming up as a nice little plug for myself here, but... Crispin Glover. And by, you know, by the time this airs, it'll have happened like four months previous. That's but true. So as opposed question. to a plug, but what's what's very similar to that Tell is that how the show was. Crispin Glover. <laughs> and um, it's the very first Crispin Glover Film Festival in the world. And River's he, Edge. River's Edge is going to be in it. Back to the Future. Um, His recent film. Or... Willard. Willard. <laughs> oh, nice. All of these films are built (laughs) around his new movie that is called What Is It? And he directed this. He's been directing this for like 10 years. And um, he will not put it on DVD. And he wants the the experience to be him bringing the film out, doing a slideshow that is like a dramatic piece that he does where he reads from his books. The big slideshow. slideshow, And then he shows this film, and he said specifically he wanted to make it a theater experience. He doesn't even, uh, I know he was uh, recently shouted at the Brussels um, uh, Fantastic Film Festival, which was about six months ago. They said they had to choose it from a description, a written description, because he wasn't going to send it to them. Oh, wow. It's right. not on DVD. Right. He doesn't send it around. So they had no idea what they were getting into. Right. It sounded completely wild and strange, and so they, they went and, and chose it. And I thought, that's great. It's yeah. great that you take a chance. That's, but it's so great because yeah. it is about, you know, yeah, you could watch it on video. You could watch your films on video. and But then yeah. that isn't really what it's about. It's, it's about right. really that sort of experience and the fact that he's – that all of these people – or re, you know this whole itinerant film exhibitor kind of thing, like the traveling show. It's I think it's great. It's exciting. Yeah, it's event. Yeah. It's because really otherwise you can always watch this stuff whenever you want. You don't even really need yeah. to see stuff in the theaters anymore because you can see yeah. them anytime. But it's I think the event. the event is really something that yeah. really kind of keeps it alive. Yeah, the event and having a live person there also to you know to yell at when you don't like it. the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, totally. Like the shows you do. I mean, yeah, maybe you could see Streets of Fire some other way. I don't know, but it's like to see it in this. Well, to situation. see anything in the Castro is a fantastic experience. I really. even I right. even think too. It's like when you did your shows at um, the Four Star Theater. You know, it's like people associated you with like what you were showing them. If you you're going to see Garbage Pail Kids, do you want to see it? At home, you could see, yeah, or it's like, on the big screen with right, Jesse there. Right. Totally. To close, do you have a favorite screening story of one of your screenings? Where most of them are all disaster. My favorite stories are disaster stories. Let's hear one. 
okay, I'll tell the Budapest story. You mentioned you were in Budapest, and right. I was asked by somebody back in the early 90s, around 92 or so, somebody knew somebody who knew a theater owner in Budapest, and they said, okay, these, this American guy will come with his films, and you'll do four days of, of films. Wow. So I, had, uh, I brought a suitcase full of 16-millimeter films. They had no idea what I was going to do, and um, you know, so everybody – it was a big theater in the middle of Budapest, wow. and um, this is probably the worst programming – uh, Four nights. Decision. Decision ever made in the history of the world. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to, I started the opening night with religious films. Uh, there was a film called Tools for Living. It was made by a factory uh, owner in Wisconsin back in like 1953 who had a chapel in his factory. And so that was the opening film. It's about 20 minutes long, but it feels like 20 hours long. <laughs> but it's incredibly, it's a, a great show opener. A great words. show totally. opener. Oh, incredible. <laughs> What what programming you know, decision and so but like it was we're a full be here for four days you exactly, know I mean? exactly it was a full house basically come to see the first show yep we started this and then slowly or perhaps not so slowly everybody started to get up and leave and everybody was drinking beer in bottles and everybody kicked over their beer bottle yeah. so they were all rolling down to the stage and slowly people were getting up and we were just sitting there mortified and. Um, there were about two or three people left out of about maybe 500 or something like that. So that was the greatest wow. walkout story I've ever. Wow. We were sitting there. Wait, within the 20 tools minutes? Within 20 minutes. We cleared them out. It's about this real, a factory that makes tool and die in, in, in a specific, it's a promotional film. Everyone advertised a factory, <laughs> and he throws in his religious beliefs. He's a religious oh, factory wow. owner. And, there, and it, it tells where the, where, the, where the town is in Wisconsin. And when I was driving across, I went something like 80 or 90 miles out of my way to drive through this town to see <laughs> to if see it if was, the still was still and there. And it was still there. Oh, praise be. And so, I, yeah. So it, it not only, you know, it was not only a disastrous screening, but it cost me gas money. Too. <laughs> Jesse, we'll, do, we'll you, get to Jesse's. do you have? Yeah, you know, let's transition over to the Castro because I did the four-star screenings, and I would do like a slumber party, which would be an all-night thing of, of midnight to 7 a.m. kind of thing, and people would come out with like sleeping bags. That's what you were you banned, right? <laughs> it was encouraged, right? And you get free cereal if you make it through to the third one and things like that. But the Castro's experience is that, you know, I mean, it was always just lucky to get 30 people out to the four-star. It was mm-hmm. a great time. Um, and the Castro has been so, so overwhelming with, with just people coming out and, you know, I mean, uh, the the disco roller skating night had. I mean, we sold the theater out. Wow, what's the capacity there? About a thousand. Uh, I, about yeah, around yeah, a thousand. It's like yeah. over a thousand. Over a thousand. Good. Yeah. Christmas. And well, we had to open up the balcony, and you know, roller skaters in a balcony. That's a good. Sounds like a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and during like during the the best. Olivia Newton-John Xanadu song. People all opened their cell phones and were waving them in the air like lighters. And but um, I think the aerobics, the aerobathon um, triple feature, I guess was was the most special night for me. Jesse loves his aerobics movies. Yeah. Can you yeah. give us one oh, title? Yeah. It's really you know, uh, Heavenly Bodies. Heavenly Bodies. That's is, the one. Is, is, wow. is that was the main reason why I started Midnight's for Maniacs, so I could track down a print of Heavenly Bodies, and we did. And, um, you know, showed it at midnight and uh, I had a giveaway and and just the people that come out to Midnight's for Maniacs are much different than like Peaches Christ or, you know, they're not very rowdy. I don't reinforce a rowdy attitude. It's more of like, let's fall in love with these movies and and, let's fall in love again, shall we? That's right. So um, 
I had, you know, a, a complete video set of Jane Fonda videos that I was going to give away. And, and, and these two guys got the same answer. And so I invited him up to come up onto the stage of the Castro, which to is do an aerobics horrifying. Off. Yes. And they had, they had an aerobathon off oh, wow. and and you knew, you knew that neither of them had ever performed in front of anyone except maybe their mom or something and so their routines were just a just priceless and they were the sweetest kids ever i had to split the video set up and oh, shit. it was really That's, really great a magic moment it was yeah. it was and then you know heavenly bodies played and and I was crying. <laughs> it was really great. Wow, yeah. Heavenly Bodies, that catches me by surprise. I'm going to have to <laughs> open my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that available on video? Uh, only on video. Only yeah. on video. No. Hasn't even made it to DVD no yet. No DVD. <laughs> well, I think that's as good a note as any to close on. So thank you all very much. Okay. Do we clap now? Thank you, Danny. You may. <laughs> clap for ourselves. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> Thanks, one more Danny. plug for the Buddha Bar and for Estrogen Cycle. <laughs> we'll of meet the you rest. tomorrow at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Exactly.